0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: One of the many, many, many things I don't like about the college football calendar is we're all stacked on top of each other in December. You rarely hear this phrase out of my mouth, but the NFL does this thing better than college football has ever thought about doing this thing. And you know what? We're going to try and solve it tonight because we are not only problem people, we are solution people here at Pate State. We're jam-packed, high atop, I would call it a pretty temperate, mild, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Thursday night, December 7th, the year of our Lord, 2023. There are some rumblings, There's some rumors, some whispers circulating, and there's just some outright suggestions about what Florida State should do as it relates to the Orange Bowl. I got some thoughts. Talk to you about it in just a second. Transfer portal's on fire, as is the case throughout most of December. I've got a question about Nick Saban. I've got news on Jim Harbaugh and maybe a contract extension, perhaps some interesting language in that contract. And like I said, we're going to try. We may fail spectacularly, but we're going to try and fix the college football calendar just a little bit tonight. We just want to move some things around. I think we have some half decent ideas. They're watching us in Rigby, Idaho, Fort Mitchell, Alabama, Evanston, Illinois, and Zebulon, North Carolina. Thank you guys so much. And just because I know that we have new audience members on the YouTube side and the podcast side every show, I always want to remind you there are nice additions to what you get on the show if you're following on the social channels, at Late Kick Josh. Same everywhere. Twitter and Instagram are my main too, but they're the same everywhere. I learned a valuable lesson the other day, Jesse and Colin. We led the show by me dunking on Brandon Walker. And while it was successful, we had our lowest audience retention of the entire year. Translation. Brandon Walker is ratings death. So that's the last I'm going to mention Brandon Walker in this show. Let's dive into tonight's substantive topics, and I'm going to start with this. Florida State, uh, many people believe should have been in the playoff, and all of Florida State fans believe they should have been in, and they're not in, and they're upset about it. And the players are upset about it, and the coaches are upset about it, and that's begging the question... Will it ever happen again in the 12-team playoff era? My opinion is no, but I was over on Knowles 24-7 today and we were kind of talking amongst ourselves about how can you be sure even about that if there are no automatic qualifiers? But that's all in the future. How about the immediate future? How about the Orange Bowl? Mac hit me up today on Twitter and he asked what many of you have been asking. And that is, with how Florida State was handled in terms of being undefeated and snubbed, do you think there's any merit... To having them opt out of the orange bowl. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second, because I know what a lot of you just did. A lot of you dismissed that in two nanoseconds, just like that. Oh, pfft, no. Next. Well, number one, that wouldn't be a good segment. Number two, I don't think you should be so quick to dismiss this. I think we need to discuss this for just a second. Now, I will, of course, tell you in my world I- Mike almost fell. Of course, in my world, I hope that never happens, but I love bowl games. And you know what? We need to talk about bowl games too, but I love bowl games. I love competition. So I hope they wouldn't do that. However, I'm not in Florida state shoes. And so I have told you guys, I'm not going to rehash what we've talked about the last two shows. Totally get the anger down there. It's justified, justifiable anger. And, um, you know, you've, you've probably looked around, Mike Norvell and his staff and his players, they're probably looking around, as is the fan base, and they're saying, where should we direct this anger? Now, some people in the fan base have looked at different shows and different media outlets, this one included, that they think had something to do with it, and they've reined in the one-star ratings and the negative comments, and um, hey, if that's the, that's the methodology you want to go, that's the route you want to go, keep doing it, uh, of other people Have said, well, you know what, we need to get out of the ACC. And it's not like they weren't already trying to do that or efforting that. But thirdly, and most recently, there's been a question asked around Florida State circles why are we playing the Orange Bowl? And it's not even that they're shying away from competition. At least I don't take it to mean Florida State's scared to face Georgia. Uh, Florida State doesn't want to go up against an SEC team. I don't get that that's it at all. I don't think the opponent would matter necessarily for these folks. I think they're looking at it and they're saying, if we got screwed out of something we think we deserved, and then this entire bowl apparatus is being propped up at the behest of enriching people that really aren't us, it's, it's other folks, it's in, in their mind the same kind of folks that boxed them out of the playoff, why should we participate? Like a bowl invitation is just that. It's an invitation. It's no contractual obligation as far as I know. participate in one. And even if there was, you break a contract, all you got to do is pay a penalty these days. I mean, what a contract's worth anyway. And so there have been some people talking like that. I have no idea if it's related or not, but they were supposed to have a press conference for this thing. Norvell and Kirby, neither one of them uh, were able to do it. And so they canceled the press conference. And I just know there are some mildly nervous people about this because This whole thing kind of works on the honor system, and the honor system is everyone's going to participate and compete for playoff spots, and then if you don't get one, then you need to be happy with the bowl that we send you to, and it's always worked that way. But you remember back a couple of years ago, Colin and I had first gotten here, and one of the first shows you and I ever did together was we did a segment on the unintended consequences of the playoff era. There were some good things that happened as a result of the playoff era. I thought there were as many, if not more, negative consequences. And of course, and I've beat this drum a million times, this will just be quickly a million and one, I think that when we got into the playoff era, certain entities used every marketing dollar at their disposal to hammer home the idea of who's in being the end-all be-all. And the message that that conveyed was if you're not playing in a game with playoff implications on it, if you're not a playoff team, your games are kind of meaningless. In November, they're kind of meaningless. And then certainly your bowl game's meaningless. Well, that wasn't the kids in the room that did that, guys. Those were the adults. The olds in the room did that. And then after a while, the kids just started to believe it. And the players started to opt out. And shortly thereafter, you had what has become now the total and utter erosion of bowl season. To where it's not something that many people take seriously anymore. There's a lie that's told in this sport, and that lie is bowls never mattered. Call BS on that 10 times out of 10. Bowl season used to be one of the greatest happenings in the in the sporting calendar period. And now it's an afterthought for a lot of people. Why? That's the price you paid for the way you marketed the playoff. I don't even believe it was the playoff itself that was to blame. I think it was the playoff and then the way the playoff was marketed and everything else being painted as meaningless by comparison. Well, then we fast forward a little bit further down the road, and your precious playoff there excluded a team, and they feel wronged. Why should they look at this as obligatory? Why should they look at that Orange Bowl as obligatory? Now, you may find it weird that I'm making this argument because I'm Mr. Bowl season. I love bowls. Well, I'm just kind of presenting what my argument would be if I were at Florida State. Like, if I were Mike Norvell, it'd all be on the table for me. Uh, why, why in the world should I continue to participate in this little dog and pony show that you've created when I don't necessarily feel like it? And I have heard from my locker room and a lot of them don't feel like it. And you know what? If you want to call me a quitter, nothing you're going to call me is worse than what you already did to me anyway. So what do I really care? Now, for the uh, probably third or fourth time, selfishly, I hope that doesn't happen but there's this other part of me that kind of wants us to find out where we're going with bowl season. Like, I think we all understand, even me, I was a holdout, but even I understand bowl season is never going to be resurrected in the image that you and I came to love it. And so I'm not sure where we've been slip sliding towards, but we've been slip sliding towards something for a while. And I just love if, if there has to be like, one cataclysmic moment that sort of torpedoes us towards wherever that final destination is for bowl season. Maybe that would be it. Maybe a team just opting out of a bowl game ends up being it. And I don't mean I don't mean one of those tier four, tier five bowls. I mean a big boy that was on the precipice of a playoff spot and then they just missed out, saying we weren't good enough for your playoff. No, your, your follow-up bowl game, you know, your your consolation prize down here is not good enough for us. We're talking about the Orange Bowl, man the Orange Bowl, at least in name, the Orange Bowl has been historic. And uh, yet, again, I didn't make the rules. I didn't create this structure. I didn't, I didn't create that who's in marketing uh, entire campaign. I didn't do any of that. But here's where we are because of it. Even if you screwed a team out of a playoff spot, had you not done the rest of that, I don't think it would enter the equation. Because opting out of bowl games had not really entered into the equation. That's a fairly recent phenomenon, believe it or not. But since it's there, I think it's all on the table. And honestly, given that I cannot have my utopian perfect world, if this is the real world and we're headed towards something happening with bowl season, maybe we need this. You know, maybe we need a bottle rocket lit in the form of a pissed off team. Just saying, we're good. We're good. You know what? You guys told James Madison they can't go. Why? Well, by the way, they're just sitting at home watching all this. By the way, um, pick James Madison. James Madison versus UGA. Isn't that what we want for uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day entertainment? I don't know how this is going to turn out. Maybe a non-issue. It, it may very well be that it may very well be that that's the sentiment down there. But an over or, per, or an overarching or prevailing voice in the room says, "No, guys, we're going to play the game." Uh, The game may not look similar to what you saw in the regular season because you got opt-outs all over the place. We're going to play the game. It may be that. Uh, And it may be that there are various legalese in the way that I'm not privy to that make this a non-starter. You can't skip a bowl game. In other words, maybe that's part of your league charter. I don't know. And frankly, I was not going to waste a chunk of my afternoon reading the language of the ACC bylaws as it relates to participation in a bowl game. Best I can understand, it's an invitation, and you are you are afforded the ability to decline invitations. Trust me, I do it all the time. Some are in my own honor, and I decline the invitation. So we'll see what happens here. Transfer portal's on fire. You smell smoke? Yep. Can't start a fire without a spark. Several of them, actually, on this piece of paper right now. Transfer portal, a couple of weeks in now. I'm looking at available running backs. Rocket Sanders, just as we went off air Tuesday night from Arkansas, entered the transfer portal. Now, I'm not on our portal rankings council. I want to repeat that for those of you in the back that keep tagging me in this stuff. I am not on our portal rankings council, which means I'm not responsible for any of this. I'm not responsible for what your your crystal balls look like or your player ratings look like. But that's good news because I can also low-key disagree with some of our ratings. For example, on the screen right now, Director Colin is showing you Trevor Etienne of Florida is in the portal, and he's our top-graded running back. I got nothing against Trevor Etienne. I'm just telling you, I don't really think Rocket Sanders, you may know him as Raheem, takes a backseat to anyone from Arkansas. Needless to say, they could both play at Pate State if we were deficient in that room, but no one ever leaves Pate State, so we're not. I am paying close attention to both of those guys and Chip them. Uh, who, who got plenty of playing time for Ohio State this year, he's also in there. And we've got some teams out there that need some difference makers at running back. Now, what's fascinating to me is to watch the prioritization of running backs from the neck up. Like, are you looking to be a feature back? Are you looking to carry the ball 22 times a game? Or are you looking to split carries with someone, keep as much tread on your tires as possible while maximizing exposure and getting good film and then saving it, maybe adding a year or two on the back end of your pro career, just one guy to another. They differ on how they think about that. What about Landon Humphreys? Landon Humphreys is a wide receiver at Vanderbilt, 6'3", 186 pounds. Vandy McConkey, as some people in our office have begun calling him because there is a feeling in crystal ball form, no less, that he may be headed to Georgia. And they're there he goes running away from the Georgia secondary in the B-roll as we speak. There is also a feeling that he could be an instant plug-and-play there and kind of play that ladd McConkey role. There's now a ladd McConkey role at Georgia. He's no longer just a dynamic skill player. He has his own role. It's like an honorary scholarship, the McConkey Scholarship. Could have a building named after him down there in a couple of decades. 22 catches his freshman year, uh, 439 yards, four touchdowns, uh, overwhelmingly, I keep hearing Georgia and we heard Georgia as soon as the kid went in the portal. As of now, like as of this moment, it hasn't happened yet. Number one wide receiver in the entire portal as of this moment. Chris Paul Jr. from Arkansas is also in the portal. Number one linebacker in the entire thing right now. There is a crystal ball in to Ole Miss. And as always, we follow the crystal balls on this program. And more often than not, they make us look smart. Freshman all SEC. That's what he was in 2022. He, I was thinking about this. I was over on the old Miss board earlier. I wish I remembered who posted it. There was a really good poster. Well, I think he's a really good poster, but he made a really good post over there earlier about what Lane Kiffin can sell right now. Lane Kiffin can legitimately sell competing for a national championship. There, you, do you realize that? Don't you, you hear what I said? Lane Kiffin has another 10-2 and two season under his belt, and they got a returning this and a returning that, and they've got proven production. Like they, We would call that a pop spot in our industry, a proof of performance reel. That's where if I think I have a really good opportunity to present a really good show, but advertisers say, no, I'm not giving you our money. Academy says, we're not taking your word for it. This is a tenth of our ad budget you're asking for. No, we want to see you prove it. Well, what we do is we go and do a year's worth of shows and then we put together a little sizzle reel or a pop spot and then we send it to Academy and it's basically a C. we told you so. Lane Kiffin's got a pop spot. He's got a a couple of years, three years worth now, uh, multiple years of pop material. They've got proof of performance and all of a sudden, whether it's Chris Paul Jr. or someone else, Lane Kiffin does not walk up to you and say, hey, help us get there. Help us get to where we, I don't know, one day could potentially compete for the SEC. He's going up to kids and saying, hey, help us win the SEC. Hadn't done it yet, but we're close, and we need a player like you, a player or two or three like you to push us over the top. They can sell that there. They haven't been able to sell that. When's the last time Ole Miss was selling that? And so keep an eye on that. Because I told you this time last year, Ole Miss, while they may not have the biggest NIL budget in the country, they're smart about it. I think in a lot of ways, they've been cutting edge with the way they've gone about it. They've understood how to allocate resources. They've understood how to divide allocating for recruiting versus allocating for portal. And a lot of you would call that budgeting. Um, I just call it talent acquisition and doing it the right way. And I think Ole Miss has a pretty good read on that. So keep an eye there. Uh, Staying in the state of Mississippi for just a second, Will Rogers in the portal from Mississippi State. That Michael Penix season or two that we just saw at Washington, it caught a lot of people's attention. And not too surprisingly, Will Rogers looks at what he once did at Mississippi State and then all of a sudden didn't do and could do again. It kind of sounds like the James Earl Jones speech in Field of Dreams. And it sounds like Will Rogers may want to go up to Seattle to fulfill that. Now, they got Austin Mack up there. In this past cycle, he was a four-star quarterback, I think he was top 10. He was like number eight in the country. And uh, I, you know, I, was, I was listening to Cooper and the guys talk earlier today. If Will Rogers landed at Washington, could kind of be a bridge quarterback. You know, he's, he's going there probably for one year. And then you got Austin Mack in the future. And I know it's really hard to plan the future like that in college now, but that's the thinking. And he is at the moment, a guy that I would expect to end up at Washington. What about Toriano Pride? He was in here the other day. I, was, I saw him walk in the halls when we were doing the transfer portal show, and he has committed to Missouri. Now, that's a 5'11", 190-pound corner who was the number 40 overall prospect in the 2022 recruiting cycle, said he kind of didn't feel like part of the team at Clemson, didn't hear a lot from Dabo, and then heads in the portal, and, and Dabo hit him up, said, sorry, you're leaving. Uh, there's always more behind that sort of thing, so I don't even pretend to know the full dynamic there, but that was his side of that story. Um, couldn't get Dabo on the show tonight. D- think he's kind of busy right now. Uh, so Missouri, as I have told you, well, I talked about it on the Portal Show the other day. I guess I'll say it here. I always believe in Portal Paradise. That's the plural of paradise. There are some Portal Paradise out there, otherwise known as places that are more attractive the second time around than they were in your initial recruitment. So let me spoil the ending for you, Missouri. Is probably not beating top five programs out for a lot of high school talent. You'll have the occasional exception, Luther Burden, for example. But by and large, your Bamas and your Georgias are swimming in a little bit different pool on signing day than Missouri is. But when the appeal of the bells and whistles fade, when the photo shoot with the rented Ferrari that has to be back by midnight isn't so appealing to you anymore, when you care about the meat, instead of the cotton candy. In other words, when you've been in college a couple of years and you're looking to transfer and you just want to get down to business and you want to see the nuts and bolts aspects of a program, that's where Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri shine. That's where they can look at you and say, no, we don't have five waterfalls in our facility. What we do have is a proven track record of development and production. We have a specific plan tailored to what we can do for you You may not have your name plastered coast to coast on the front of every newspaper, website, or magazine, but what we're going to give you a chance to do is compete in the best conference in America. Uh, We are going to take care of things on our end, and if you take care of things on your end, meet us in the middle there, you're going to have a chance to fulfill every one of your goals. And if that works for you, fine. If it doesn't, fine. That's the pitch. First time around, that doesn't work. Second time around, once you understand what college is actually about, and none of the stuff that appealed to you as a high school recruit actually mattered, then that's where a Missouri, for example, can shine. Um, I think they're really well positioned to do good in the portal for years to come. So there's your portal update. Academy Sports and Outdoors is in the midst of sending out $150 gift cards for anyone who proved that our show, Late Kick, was the number one most listened to podcast for you this year. It has been a giant undertaking. But a rewarding undertaking for us. And we didn't really have to do much because they have to send us the cards. We just send them out, but we appreciate it. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods. Plus, this time of year, if I know you like I think I do, it's December where you live, just like it is where we live. You have to Christmas shop. It's just a fact. 95% of you have to, and the other 5%, I don't know how you got out of it. I have no idea. But I'm not even talking to you right now. The other 95%, they've got your stuff at Academy. They've got a basketball hoop just as sure as they got Big League Chew in the checkout line, and frankly, I would recommend one for the tree and one for stocking stuffer, both great. Some kids would enjoy the Big League Chew more than the basketball hoop. They got you covered at Academy Sports and Outdoors, and if you can't get there in person, academy.com has your hookup. I've got great news, wonderful, phenomenal, um, earth-shattering news, and I've got it in my hand right now. I just need to take a sip from the chalice and and unfreeze my computer. Yeah. Okay. You want to know what the news is? Massive win for college football here. Oklahoma, Texas, the Red River Shootout, as it is still known in this neighborhood, is not moving to Jerry World, as had been feared on programs like this one. They have announced, joint announcement here, OU in Texas joining arms on Twitter yesterday. They announced the Red River rivalry, a little bit sanitized, is staying at the Cotton Bowl. The game contract has been renewed through 2036, and a $140 million renovation is on the way. Now, as we know, money is no issue in the state of Texas. $140, $140 $140, $140 million. The important thing is yours truly and anyone else blessed enough to be at this game, you can ride a Ferris wheel, you can you can deep fry your cell phone if you want to and try and eat it and you can go watch, for my money, the best rivalry game environment in college football and then go right back out to the fair afterwards and it's like 3.30 in the afternoon. You can get sunburnt to the point bordering on sun poisoning. You can win a little turkey head like I did there. Colin, I didn't know you had this B-roll, but now this is very nostalgic. Look at the flip-a-chick. That's no joke, guys. If you're listening on podcast, just picture a catapult and a sledgehammer and a rubber chicken, and there's this little pot spinning around, and it's not that you win the foam chicken head. The foam chicken head in and of itself didn't mean much to me. It's the pride that goes along with being able to say you won it. You know, it's kind of like bowl games these days. Guys fight all season to be able to make a bowl game, only to opt out of the bowl game. Making a bowl game was their motivation. Then they opt out of it. The bowl game is the Texas State Fair version of the foam chicken head. It's winning it that matters. It's a point of pride. And then your black t-shirt's covered in funnel cake. And my point is, none of this is possible across town at Jerry World. And Cooler heads, smarter heads prevailed, and now we get to watch this thing for at least, what, another decade and a half or so, uh, where it's been played since the 1930s. Front Office Sports uh, detailed some of the particulars here. That 140 mil in renovations, I was worried that they were just going to basically tear the place down and start from scratch. Nope, we're just going to widen the concourses, check. Uh, escalators. Okay. Okay. A little bit fancy for my taste. A little managerial, if you will, but still check uh, concessions. Always a good thing to upgrade those restrooms. I love a good trough, but if you guys need the privacy of an individual urinal, ladies, you don't have to worry about this. Then I'm all good with that. As long as we're keeping it in that building, you know what? I don't even need you to bring exterminators in and get rid of the chronic locust infestation problem that we have out there, because I think it's part of the charm. When you have the press corrals on the sideline, I think I told this story, but I'll tell it once more. Got the the little foam-looking press corrals on the sideline. They have advertisement on them. Players sometimes get tackled into them. They're there all game. Well, what you don't realize in a stadium that is infested with just mutant crickets by the millions and millions is they're looking for shade. It's hot, man. That game kicks off 11 a.m. local time well, the crickets all gather under the press corrals. So let's just say you're working for CBS Sports and you're on the field post-game and you're doing your live hit with Hakeem Dermish or maybe Jeremy St. Louis or whoever happens to be in the studio. And simultaneously, the stadium workers are tearing up the press corrals. Guess what's under every one of those press corrals? Thousands of crickets. And then here's the sad part, and earmuff the kids because this does not have a happy ending. I don't know how sunlight affects crickets, but if they've been without it for a little while and are all of a sudden immediately exposed to it, uh, they die pretty quick. It's tough. It's a tough scene. It's not for the faint of heart. Luckily, the stadium's emptied by this point. But I'm talking to you about things that would turn pro sports fans off in a nanosecond because they've been too coddled unless you've been a Raiders fan. And even now, you guys moved to a new city and got a new stadium. Um, Not for us, though. No, not for us. For us, on that Saturday, we want to be at the Cotton Bowl. And it doesn't matter if we have to sit like this, and it doesn't matter if, you know, concessions may be a little cramped. We're working on it, but we're keeping the game where it should be. And I was concerned. I heard rumblings in the spring and summer. Sark made a comment in passing that a lot of people picked up on. I can't even remember, but it kind of hinted at the idea that the game may move venues down the road. And... (laughs) How could you blame anyone for being concerned about this? Literally every other aspect of this game is being corporatized. You know what we are? It, it, Texas OU is like a natural preserve of a game, and little corporate jackals have just been circling the perimeter, waiting to sink their teeth into this thing and then drag it by the leg across town to AT and T Stadium. And fortunately, the city of Dallas stepped in and said, "Matumbo, not today, not today." and not next year or the year after that. So we're safe until 2036. That sound is me bookmarking this topic. And uh, Colin, remind me of December 2035, probably. We need to revisit this one. In the meantime, and speaking of calendars, could I just try and fix ours for a second? Another sip from the chalice, because I, look, I got to hydrate myself before I single-handedly try and fix our great sport here. This is the part of the show where assistant coaches on the road all over the place tell whoever's in the passenger seat, hey, hey, shh, shh, he's about to try and save me. He's about to try and get me at least three or four hours of sleep per night. Colin, here's your end point. The college football calendar is crazy to the point of unsustainable. Uh, this is not a sentence you hear me say very often, but the NFL got this figured out and college football doesn't. I like the NFL over college football when it comes to the way they operate their calendar. Now, part one of the problem is that no one person or no one group of people with any intimate knowledge or familiarity about what it takes to coach or run a program put the calendar together. It's just a bunch of people whose names you don't know and faces you wouldn't recognize that over time put this thing together, and then they don't have to operate in accordance with it. It would be like me making rules for something, and then I step away. Oh, no, 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 I'm not participating. No, I'm just making the rules for you. Well, you wouldn't like that very much, would you? Imagine being a college football coach right now. Not a head coach, mind you. They make millions. Not an offensive or defensive coordinator. At the highest level, they also make millions. I want you to imagine, if you will, being a grad assistant, or just working in a recruiting department. You're making 37, five a year, something like that, maybe less, maybe a little bit more. And your first impression in the morning is alarm goes off at five o'clock. You need to be in the building by seven. And then your last impression is you pulled in before the sun was up. You're leaving after the sun goes down. And you're not checking your Capital One account and seeing a $7,500,000 spending limit on your credit card. You're not looking at your direct deposit and having it say, oh, hmm, $35,000 every two weeks, not too bad. No, that's your yearly take home. And you're also having to work these hours. And you must look around and think, who made this calendar? And the answer is morons, not stupid people. They're just moronic slash ignorant to basically what it takes to do this stuff. So I look at the NFL. And they have the same things college has really. Think about this for a second. So the NFL has playoffs just like college football does. They they have a championship game just like college football. They do that in January, February, but then that's when they do their staff moves. They don't do staff moves before, they don't do staff moves during cuz they're smart enough not to interrupt the most important stretch of games and inventory that they have on their shelf. Then, and only then, after they crown a champion, do they start free agency, or as you would call it, the transfer portal. That happens in March for them. Then they have the draft, or as you would call it, signing day, in late April. You notice how we're spacing this stuff out, and then they release schedules for the upcoming year in May. I've gotten you to summer already. In college, we do all that in the span of a month. We have the portal open, we have early signing day happen, we have coaching moves going on, and then we got a playoff and it all happens. Boom, 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 like a four or 5 layer cake on top of each other. And some of the same people in these buildings are responsible for doing all of it. It's not sustainable. And if if you don't really want to feel bad about the big earners, then understand, that's only what 0.2% of the people actually tasked with handling this stuff. When I'm college football commissioner, could be one week, could be two weeks, but when I'm college football commissioner, humbly, I would like to suggest this. And I'm, I'm going to start in June, okay? In June, I just want to bake in a big fat dead period for you guys. And I want you to go wherever you want to go. Wherever Cliff Kingsbury disappeared to last year for a little while, just go there. Go to the most remote corners of the earth imaginable and get away from football. You're going to need to because you still got to do the same things. I'm just going to space them out a little bit for you. I would love for early signing day to be in July. Now, I go to the recruiting and personnel symposium every year and they have fights about this thing. There are pros and cons to it. What I love is I'd love that early signing day to be moved up to July and there are going to be some requisites along with this. I think that I would like offers to be mandatory committable. No offering a kid and then saying once he tries to commit, well, no, it's not quite committable yet. Well, that's not an offer. So what this would do is it would heavily police offers. So the most sure thing five-star lot kids, that still have their offers. And the rule, if I'm commissioner, would be if you offer five-star Colin, whether you're Bowling Green or or whether you're Boise State, you offer five-star Colin, if he tries to commit to you before that early signing day and you put an offer on his table, you got to take it. And the follow-up rule is, even if he gets hurt his senior year of high school, you're going to honor what you offered him. You know what that would do? It would really thin out the offer list. They'd still be there. You'd still have some big-time commitments, but it wouldn't be nearly to the degree it is right now. And don't worry. If you don't commit early, I'm still going to have the second signing day. It's just going to be a little bit later. Okay, so I want that wrapped up by early to mid-July. I'm going to bake you guys in another week or two of vacation. And then I want media days right before we open fall camp. No media days in mid-July, and then you take another two weeks. We're done with that. And then we open fall camp. And fall camp's in August. And then the regular season is September, October, November. We get to December. We're going to have conference championship Saturday. Um, As of now, entertaining the idea of opening the portal the same time we normally do. I can't clean this up completely. I think we'll still have a bunch of coaching moves happening at the same time that we have a lot of players moving around, but what I'm not doing is I'm not stacking the early signing day on top of those things as it exists right now. I had the early signing day happen back in July. My other signing day is not going to happen all the way until next February, where it always has been parked, by the way. Um, You got your playoffs in December. You got your national championship game in January. February is my second national signing day, And then what I would love to do in this sport is I would love to take March and I would love to, before we open spring practice, I'd love to have that period of time where we do schedule reveals. Right now, college football is not structured at all in the way it does that. And even if you know the opponents you're going to face, you don't know the exact dates. So I would love to do a schedule reveal, sort of a tent pole event right before spring practice is open then you have spring practice. You know that I have long advocated for spring games, which happen in April, to give you the option to schedule maybe an FCS team. Because I really am not interested in you playing FCS opponents in the fall. So a lot of you say, well, we got to keep the little guy afloat. Cool. I will give you a TV partner. I, as Commissioner Pate, will help facilitate television partnership deals between CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN. And so I'm going to give them a valuable piece of inventory at the end of spring. They're going to fit the bill for that FCS team to come to Athens, Georgia and take the same beating that they would in the fall. Only difference is you get to structure it and it gets to be an actual event that people want to come see because it resembles a football game. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You can have your normal spring game if you want to. For all I care, I'm going to incentivize you to play actual games and then spring's over. Then in May... We have the early portal or second portal window, I guess we would call it. And it's largely the same as it is right now. Not a huge fan of it, but as far as I can tell, we do need to have it. And then what do we have? Well, we have a whole year. That's what we just did. We get back to July. Now, that is part entertainment. That is hopefully uh, part functionality for people to be able to breathe every once in a while. I hope I baked in enough vacation time. But if I didn't, then I'm open to suggestions. I know I'm going to get per capita or pound for pound, whichever fits here, more feedback from uh, player personnel and recruiting people than I will all year on this segment because every one of them's got thoughts. You ought you to sit in the room when we're at these symposiums and, and you know town hall type things and I'm fortunate enough to be privy to some of them. Been on, moderated some of the panels and it's spirited. It's spirited. What, what folks think is necessary, what would work, what would the unintended consequences be if you move some of the stuff around? Because it's always present. Always present. They're watching us in Pacolet, or maybe Pacale, South Carolina, Orlando, Florida, and Omaha, Nebraska. Appreciate you guys so, so much. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. Do you hear that? Nope, nope, nothing to do with Big Ten or the NCAA. No, there are, there are strong rumors, strong rumblings that he may have a contract extension in the immediate future. Richard Johnson, a real human, as he designates on his Twitter account that works over at SI, he, um, he put this out earlier today. Source, Michigan is working on a contract extension for Jim Harbaugh worth $11 million per year over five years. The, listen, to this, listen to this. This is important. The main hurdle remaining is a commitment in writing from Harbaugh that he will not pursue an NFL job this cycle. So what do we think about that? I think about this. So this is where my head went. Number one, um, the, the NCAA investigation into their program is still ongoing. Now, I'll be the only person apparently in the room that says, I have no idea how that's going to end up. Now, everyone else on the internet seems to have guided knowledge about where the NCAA is going to go. Oh, by the way, I don't think the NCAA knows where they're going to go with that. But you have fun trying to predict what those folks are going to do. That's like trying to nail Jello to the wall. Not very profitable as a strategy for you. But go for it. Anyway, my point is, Michigan must be pretty confident. If they're putting this in front of him, if it's true, I saw John, John Bacon talking earlier today about how it's in front of him, like the ball is in Jim Harbaugh's court. If that's true, then they must be pretty darn confident that uh, there are no catastrophic sanctions coming down from the NCAA. I would, my guess is I would agree with that. And so the follow-up from Richard Johnson there is, he said they want, in writing, Uh, that Jim Harbaugh will not pursue the NFL. Now, what he said is this cycle. And I wonder, is that what the language says? Or does it just say over the length of this new deal, which would be five years, reportedly, we don't want you flirting with the NFL? Because this has been, last two or three years, this has been an an every offseason thing for Jim Harbaugh. And I I wouldn't want it either if I were them, especially if I'm offering him 11 plus mil per year. But then my mind goes a little bit further. My mind goes to what could Jim Harbaugh be waiting on? Now, this could be a million different things. My blind um, speculation is maybe he is interested in taking one more swing at the NFL, doesn't need it, but he's interested in it. Maybe he's still entertaining it. And maybe he thinks to himself, "Okay, so I just got this in my hand from Michigan. I I will sign it at my convenience. I'm going to leave it right here, and I'm going to wait one more cycle. And the NFL season, when it starts to wrap up here, I'm going to see one more time if an offer that I want to jump at comes along. And if it does, I'm gone. If it doesn't, that's it for me. And boom, he signs his name to that piece of paper, and that's it. That could be the long and short of it. That could be where his mind's at. I mean, I certainly don't think he slammed the door on the NFL, but it also, it couldn't be something that just burns deep inside his gut and keeps him up at night. It could be something that, you know, 60-40, I'd rather go back to the NFL, but it's not going to kill me if I don't, especially now that he's got Michigan rolling the way it is. And, and speaking of that, that's the other place my mind went. You remember what this used to be? For Michigan fans, you remember what this used to be? This used to be, all right, so Harbaugh came home, big celebration, and then it became since he didn't just immediately overtake Ohio State, it's, we're still happy to have him, but we got to have more. And then there was a little period of time, especially you know, culminating in 2020, where a lot of folks in Michigan circles wanted to move on. And so at, at best, at that point, it was one eye on Harbaugh, but the other eye on the landscape and looking around and thinking, well, this is not the guy that's going to take down Ohio State. This is not the guy that's going to put our program on the top of the Big Ten mountain. So who's it going to be? We're not going to do our guy dirty. He's one of us. So we're, we're going we're to try and class up his exit, but he's got to exit. And he didn't. And he got it figured out. And now they're on top of the Big Ten. And now they are the number one seed in the college football playoff. They're going to play Alabama. They've got yet another shot to do what thus far is the only thing he hasn't been able to do. And that's Make noise in the playoff. He's gone 0-2 here in the last two seasons. I just think back to how, not hopeless it looked, but maybe, maybe how hopeless the future under Harbaugh seemed. And it's just, it's always crazy to me if you just let a guy keep going. Sometimes a guy keeps going and just digs himself a deeper hole. But other times, a guy keeps going and he's tried it this way, you know, t- to this degree angle, and, and he shifts it one or two degrees over, and one or two degrees more over. And outsiders, I've said this before. I've been guilty of saying this. Outsiders may think not a thing's changing. Well, maybe maybe t- to to your eye it's not, but you don't see. You see a fraction of what's actually going on in there. And I'm I'm just always fascinated by changes subtly in approach. Change a staffer here. Change a, a practice philosophy there. You just never know what makes the difference. And it you see, you saw the game they just played against Ohio State. It's a six-point game. <laughs> it's not, not a massive gap in that game, but just very, very incremental differences. The sum of those make up the edge in a game like that. So I will say this as I continue to think. If I were Michigan, I don't know that I could ever hope to handle what's happened this year better than they have. I'm not talking about the whole Connor Stallions thing, let's endorse that. I'm saying, given that happened, from that point forward, the way they've handled it is they have, they have been as immune to suffering from the criticism as a program could ever be. That's what happens when you're a veteran, and you got folks who know what they're doing running your program, and quite the opposite, they've actually leveraged it and harnessed it to their advantage. So, I know half of you out there hate them. Uh, Maybe 25% of you're indifferent and the other 25% love them. I don't have to fit into any of those categories. I just know as someone who picked them to lose two games and went 0 for 2, they've proven me wrong and maybe they're not done proving folks wrong. Let's see what they do in the playoff now. They are, Jesse, could you do me a favor? No, actually, never mind. Don't do this. They're playing Alabama in the semifinal. Texas is playing uh, Washington in the semifinal. And I, I know, I know our audience. Very rarely do I look in the comment or look in the live chat and see people put the thinking man emoji and saying, I don't have an immediate take on this game. Let me think about it. Most of the time you guys, boom, know immediately. Well, I would encourage you, if you think you have a read on either of those games or especially any of these bowl games, you better get on over to FanDuel. Those those lines are going to be moving closer to kickoff, obviously, but there's no action like early action, as Mimo always said. So if if you think you got to read disproportionate motivation levels, if you think that you know opt-outs are going to disproportionately hurt one team over the other, bowl season could be where you got the best edge that you would ever have against the house, because there are variables in play that are not in play in October, November, or early December. So FanDuel's got you set. They are the exclusive odds provider of Late Kick. Anytime you see numbers on our screen, we just, we just, Jesse just presses a button, and FanDuel pumps them right in, and we appreciate them for that. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call one 800 next or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1 800 gambler.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelp.ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24/7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8hope-ny or text HOPE NY in New York. Lastly, I had a question about a man who I believe is the current head coach at Alabama. I thought we should end on this tonight. This is from beautiful Florence, Alabama. Uh, no, you know, I'll say that for another night. Okay, so let's go, let's go with this. So Miles hit me. He said, with how the season started, was this Nick Saban's best coaching job yet? Now, he's had a lot of coaching jobs. He's been there, what, 16 years, 17 years, something like that. Their returning production was in the 120s. We knew that in spring. And um, so I just want to walk you through something. You lose Bryce Young, you lose Will Anderson. I mean, those are just death blows for most teams. You're going to regress several games. At Alabama, they've long since shifted into the reload, not rebuild philosophy. Some people say that. They actually do it there. Can I just walk you through something? My answer is yes. I think it's been a phenomenal coaching job. Think about the following. Things looked so dire for them at one point in the spring, Saban got out of spring practice and took a transfer quarterback. Never seen him do it before. He goes and gets Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, who ends up coming in and after a disastrous start by Jalen Miller against Texas in a week two double-digit loss at home, Buckner ends up starting against USF. It is the worst game I've ever seen Alabama play in the Nick Saban era, even though they won. Buckner is 5 of 14 for 34 yards, had a QBR of 9.4 that day. It was so bad, that dude's in the portal now as a lacrosse player. Paper pop statement there. Bama started a dude who is now looking to play lacrosse at quarterback this year, and they still found a way into the college football playoff. They still found a way to win the SEC championship. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good coaching job, They went and hired Tommy Reese as OC, which got approximately zero headline coverage. They went and got Kevin Steele out of Miami. Half of you didn't even know Steele was still coaching. And then people made fun of it and said, Tommy Reese, Kevin Steele, (laughs) Saban used to have great coordinators, and now look what he's settling for. What did he settle for? What did he settle for? Dude, 72 years old and is still grinding every bit as hard, if not harder, than he ever has Monday through Monday, and everything in between, and I will remind you of something, by the way, that I told you back at media days when he was here. He was in Nashville. There was a reason why I came back over to our studio that night and I said, "You know, the vibe I get is Saban doesn't look at Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele from a hiring perspective like the rest of you do." He looks at him and says, "I could win." with 30 of these folks out here. I could win with 40 or 50 of these different coordinator potential hires I made if the rest of the infrastructure of my program is sound. They didn't think that they were wired the right way last year. That The team mentally wasn't wired the right way. Do, Do you remember, by the way, last year at times, they lose games and they had players openly talking about how anxiety affected the team a little too anxious, a little too nervous. Like, what? Dude, go, go. That would be a little too graphic for me to say. I know kids listen to the show. The mentality you need to have to go play at Alabama is not one that has room for anxiety to be part of the equation. And so, hadn't seen that this year. And this SEC championship game this last week, we want going to talk about mental toughness. Georgia sliced them on the opening drive. And then it was game on the rest of the way. It's always funny when people watch opening drives of games, by the way, which sometimes is the least accurate indicator of what's to come the rest of the afternoon because of the way that scripted openings happen. But even having said that, I stood there when I watched Georgia do what they did and said, uh-oh, and then just bam, no anxiety, no, no, no competitive anxiety this time around, just took care of business. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's been a pretty good coaching job from Nick Saban. Unless any of you have other teams who's starting quarterback at one point in the season entered the lacrosse portal and is still in the playoff, can anyone find that for me? Until you do that, I'm going to call this a pretty darn good coaching job by Nick Saban. Appreciate you guys so much for watching. A small favor, if you will, subscribe to the channel and like the video or subscribe to the podcast on your way out. And uh, that's about it. That's about all. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless. or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland.